but this morning we will uh, continue uh, our study on the life of Christ. Uh, again, if you were with us on Wednesday evening, uh, we looked at uh, one particular lesson in Scripture uh, where uh, Jesus went to a dinner party. Uh, he, he was invited to the home of Simon the, the Pharisee. Now, uh, th- there's many uh, Simons uh, within Scripture. I think we pointed out at least nine of them. Uh, but this one in particular, we refer to as Simon the Pharisee. He invites Jesus into his home. Uh, you know, we kind of debated as to whether he had good intentions or not, uh, whether he was uh, really wanting Jesus to come over so that he could have a discussion of spiritual things, or maybe he was trying to uh, trap Jesus. But we remember that while he's at the dinner table uh, having this meal, and again, remember, uh, he's reclining at the table. Uh, remember, when it, in that culture, they didn't sit in chairs and tables and uh, all sort of line up like you see in the picture of the, the Last Supper. But they were actually, they sort of, you know, reclined on the ground as they ate. Uh, but as they were around this table, uh, there is a woman who the scriptures refer to as a, a sinful woman. She is in the house of Simon and she is, uh, she's weeping. She, she's washing uh, Jesus's feet with her tears and her hair. Uh, she's constantly kissing his feet uh, she takes this uh, you know, expensive vial uh, in an alabaster vial of perfume, and she's anointing the feet of Jesus. And you know, we made the point that in that culture, uh, you know, Simon was supposed to offer uh, some uh, you know, hospitality towards Jesus, which he never did. You know, Simon uh, never um, gave him water to wash his feet. You know, Simon never... Um, gave him uh, oil to maybe anoint his head with. Uh, Simon never greeted him with, you know, that holy kiss, you know, that greeting. And so we made the point that all of the things that Simon was supposed to do, uh, this woman was doing. And, you know, Simon, uh, in his mind, you know, he's thinking to himself, you know, if Jesus really was a prophet, you know, he knew he would know what type of woman she was. And, um, and so he's kind of, it kind of made it sound like he had some doubts as if he was a prophet because later on he'll just refer to him simply as teacher. And Jesus knows the intentions of his heart. He knows what he's thinking. And so he gives them that parable. Right? He says a simple parable. He says there's a money lender who uh, was owed two different debts, uh, 50 denarii and 500 denarii. Uh, and he forgave both of those debts. And uh, the, the conclusion was... Uh, you know, which, which borrower loved that moneylender more? Was it the one who uh, only had 50 denarii in debt and was forgiven, or was it the 500? And Simon the Pharisee uh, answered that question, well, I suppose that it was the one he forgave more. Right? And so Jesus was hoping to get him to click with him uh, that, that this woman, you know, who was attending to Jesus, uh, in that fashion, you know, was someone who needed that forgiveness, and um, you know that was her in that story, right? And so we we asked ourselves the question, you know, how do we show our gratitude, right? Because we can't simply uh, go up to Jesus and weep at his feet and um, you know wash his feet for him or anoint his feet. So how do you and I uh, show our gratitude towards uh, Jesus? 
And, you know, we, we mentioned some things as far as obedience was a big one that we talked about and, and prayer and, uh, you know, showing our love for our brethren and such. And so, you know, just a very, very powerful, powerful uh, lesson that we looked at uh, Wednesday evening. And so, uh, again, we're in lesson 35 this morning. Uh, we're moving on. Uh, we're beginning a new day in the life of Jesus. And actually, this the, the next series of lessons, I think it's the next five or so, are going to specifically uh, be uh, at this, you know, this one day. Uh, there's a lot going on this one day in the life of Jesus. And so we're going to uh, notice uh, all of the things that are going to go on in, um, in this day. Uh, there's going to be, of course, uh, these uh, parables uh, that, that Jesus is going to preach from Matthew chapter 13. You know, that's probably one of the more familiar chapters in Scripture, Matthew chapter 13, where uh, Jesus gives the parable of the sower, or also the, the parable of the, the four soils. And he's also going to give an explanation to it. Uh, we're going to see Jesus giving a, a parable of the wheat and tares. Again, another one that we're familiar with. And uh, the mustard seed and the, churl, the treasures and the pearls in the ground and also the dragnet. And so uh, Matthew chapter 13 is just a powerful, powerful um, uh, chapter in the Bible. And we'll see that in the next couple of lessons. But again, there's a lot going to go on uh, this day. Uh, but w- the, the topic of lesson number 35 is going to be uh, sort of more of a, uh, a thing to get us uh, ready for this day, a question that Jesus is going to uh, take on here. And you know, we can uh, begin by thinking uh, of this question, is there a sin that cannot be forgiven today? And you don't have to answer that now. But let's just think, uh, ponder about that question. Is there a sin that cannot be forgiven today? And so, uh, you know, maybe that comes to mind uh, that this is this lesson's pertaining to uh, what we sometimes refer to as the unpardonable sin or the sin of blaspheming uh, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, That's what Jesus is going to deal with at this time. Uh, Before we get to that, we, we just want to point out uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Just a very, very brief uh, part in the life of Jesus uh, where he is going to uh, go on his uh, second Galilean tour. Um, if you uh, study the life of Christ, you know, sometimes the, uh, the, uh, whoever is uh, producing the content can sometimes, you know, get really detailed as far as, uh, you know, the, the life of, of Jesus, you know, I really think of it in three time periods, uh, his year of um, obscurity, his year of popularity, and then, uh, and then the third year where, you know, he's starting to see a lot of harassment from the people. But uh, they, they can really dissect it even further and, you know, talk about, well, you know, he went on a, uh, he did a tour or a ministry uh, went a healing in in Galilee, and so we're going to call this his first Galilean ministry. And then uh, here's another one where he 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 comes back to Galilee and he has another um, teaching and healing sessions. And so uh, uh, we'll call this the second Galilean ministry. And uh, so that's that's just what that's all about uh, in the curriculum. That it's referring to uh, Jesus's second Galilean ministry, starting in chapter eight, verses one through three. 
And this is the only way in Scripture where this is recorded. Again, this is very short. Uh, we don't get too much details going on. Uh, but it begins by saying that soon afterwards, uh, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary, who was called Magdalene, uh, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa and Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their uh, private means. So, uh, again, that's all the detail, that's all the information we get about this second tour, the second Galilean ministry, but it just wants to point out in the life of Christ, this is where this is what he does right after uh, he has the dinner with Simon the Pharisee. And uh, we notice some things. Uh, first of all, we notice is that uh, the 12 are with him this time. Right. So he's got all 12 apostles with him uh, as he's touring uh, the land. And who else is with him? Yeah, he has uh, uh, some women with him, right? Women that he has helped uh, heal. Uh, of course, Mary Magdalene. Are we familiar with her? Yeah, she comes. She comes up quite a bit in the gospel accounts, right? Uh, she's going to be there with Jesus at the end uh, while he's on the cross, uh, and then afterwards, uh, after he is resurrected, you know, she's. Uh, Mark tells us that she's the first that. Uh, he appears to. So Mary Magdalene, she's going to play a big part uh, in the gospel accounts. Uh, Joanna, she's uh, mentioned here and also uh, in Luke chapter 24. So again, she's going to be one of the women that's uh, there um, uh, ministering to uh, Jesus. And then Susanna, uh, she's only mentioned here. But not only uh, do we have the 12 apostles traveling with Jesus, uh, there's some women that are also traveling with Jesus. And also in verse 3, it also mentions and, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. Right? There were a lot of people that were helping uh, fund, right? fund the, the, uh, the, the tour, the ministry of Jesus in, in, uh, during his life. Um, and so, uh, again, part of these things, you know... The, the, this particular, at least for me, this particular study, the next four or five, is a little bit tougher to kind of do chronologically. I want to try to keep it as chronological as possible. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record uh, most of these events. Some of them leave some of them out, and some of them uh, have them. But it, it's a little bit – These, I'm just – uh, warning you that these are a little bit tougher to study chronologically uh, based on uh, how Matthew, Mark, and Luke recorded these. But uh, Mark wrote in Mark chapter 3, verse 20, that near the end of the tour, uh, he comes home and the crowd gathered again. And it said that it was so crowded that he couldn't even uh, eat a meal. And again, this, this is going to be the start of this extremely, extremely busy day that we're going to read about in Jesus's life. Uh, he's going to cast out demons. Uh, he's going to interact uh, with uh, some of the people in his hometown. Uh, again, he's going to give these parables uh, from Matthew chapter 13 that we're very familiar with. And, uh, and then it's going to end by giving us the, uh, uh, the account where uh, Jesus calms the storm. Right? They're, they're on the Sea of Galilee and... Uh, 
and they're frightened uh, because of, of the, the storm that's happening. And uh, Jesus asks them, where's their faith? Right? And so that'll be a great lesson for us to see in the, in the next couple of weeks as well. But now we're going to turn our attentions uh, with our time remaining to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to, uh, starting in verse 22 uh, through 37, again, uh, we're going to look at these uh, accusations that are made towards uh, Jesus. These, uh, again, this, this word that we don't use too often, uh, blasphemous, these blasphemous accusations. And so, again, as uh, Mark told us, as he set the stage, you know, there, there's this great scene of people, uh, so much so that uh, he couldn't even uh, eat. And uh, it even told us in verse 21 of Mark chapter 3 that the people... Uh, his own people worried so much that they were coming to get him uh, because it says that, that they had thought that he had lost uh, his senses. And I think there's uh, one translation that refers to uh, his own people as uh, his, his family. And so whether it was you know, his family, maybe his brothers, or if it just referred to the people of Capernaum, the people that you know, he grew, uh, grew up with, whatever it was, they were worried about Jesus on this day at the beginning. Because they had uh, it said there in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, that he had lost his senses. And that's going to be important later uh, in the next couple of weeks when we look at that account. But let's, let's read Matthew chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 22. And we'll go through verse 24. So then it says, Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the mute man spoke and saw. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man cast out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. So this is quite a miracle that Jesus performs. Right? There's three things going on here. He, he uh, brings the man's sight back. He, he gives him the ability to speak again. And he also you know, would have brought his, uh, uh, his sanity back. You know, really uh, sort of a triple miracle. Right? He br- brings the man's sanity back. He restores that. He restores his sight and speech. But when the Pharisees see him perform this miracle, what's their reaction? They're attributing uh, his actions, his powers, this miracle that they see, not to God, uh, but to Beelzebul. Uh, and I'll probably pr- mispronounce that quite a bit this morning. Uh, but who is Beelzebul? Beelzebub. Okay, yeah. So uh, if we were to, uh, you know, study that uh, that. Uh, Name. Uh, we could go back all the way into the Old Testament, where um, you know there's a relation there with Baal, you know, the false god Baal that the that the Gentiles worshipped, and and you know that the name Beelzebul is some, somewhat related to that, and so it was a pagan deity considered to be the ruler of darkness and of demons. He was nicknamed the Lord of the Flies, and so uh, you know something very dark and. Uh, and again, uh, that was worshipped by uh, the Gentiles, uh, some of the Gentiles. But by the, the time of Jesus, uh, it, was, it was someone who the Jews would have referred to Satan as. They would have gave him uh, the, the name Beelzebub. 
And so uh, the Pharisees, they see Jesus cast out this demon from this man, heal him. And they said that Jesus was doing that by the power of Beelzebub. Okay, and so let's, let's continue on in verses 25 through 29 and see Jesus' reaction to that. And so knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I buy Beelzebul... Cast out demons, uh, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? So, you know, Jesus' uh, response to this is uh, pretty, um, uh, pretty awesome, uh, pretty uh, intellectual. Because first he, uh, you know, he defends himself by claiming that their argument was illogical. You know, it didn't make any sense. Now, uh, look back at verse 25. Did the Pharisees make this known to Jesus? Did they come to him to his face and say, you're doing this by the power of Beelzebub? No, uh, it's just another point to uh, Jesus' deity because verse 25, it says, And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said these things to them. Um, and again, his, the, uh, making the point that their, their thinking uh, was illogical, he says to them, A kingdom divided cannot stand. Right? Uh, if he was uh, under the influence of Satan, you know, why would he be going around trying to cast out uh, himself, right? It's illogical that Jesus was working under the power of Satan, under the power of Beelzebub. He says it's illogical. Why would uh, any kingdom divided by, or excuse me, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. Right, so first, you know, the first point is that it's illogical to think that way. And then he makes the point that it's inconsistent. You see there in verse 27, he said, uh, If I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Uh, what a lot of commentators believe that's referring to is that uh, he's talking about the sons of the Pharisees. You know, the, the, the men that are growing up to be the the next set of religious rulers, apparently they were going around uh, casting out and performing exorcisms uh, as well. And again, uh, Jesus is saying here that, again, your, your attack on me is inconsistent because if I'm going around doing this and uh, your sons are going around doing this, why is it that it's okay for them to do that but not me? Right? And so... Jesus is accused of being in league with the devil for doing the same thing that they're claiming that their sons were able to do. You know, again, either, uh, uh, either their exorcists um, were frauds or that Jesus could do this as well. And so um, their, their thoughts, their, their uh, attack on Jesus was illogical. It was inconsistent. And then finally, uh, he tells us there in verse 29 that it was impossible. 
uh, or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? Uh, who is the strong man in this parable? You know, he's, he's referring to uh, Satan here. You know, Satan is uh, the, the strong man, uh, if you will. How can anyone enter Satan's house and carry off his property unless he first binds Satan? And then he will plunder his house. You know, again, uh, if Jesus was in leagues with Beelzebub, with Satan, why is he going around casting out demons uh, that are part of, his, of, of Satan's um, you know, ways. Why is he going around uh, casting them out? Uh, but Jesus says, no. But uh, if, if he goes and binds him up, you know, if he, he binds up the strong man, you know, basically meaning he, he's, making, he's rendering him useless. He, he's taking these evil spirits out, out of these uh, men and sending them off. Again, Jesus was defeating Satan, uh, not assisting him. So, again, the Pharisees, they see Jesus perform this miracle. They accuse him of doing this by the power of Satan. And Jesus gives him that exclamation saying that was impossible. Uh, that's illogical. That's inconsistent. And let's notice Christ uh, here in the next few verses goes on the offense. So verse 30, it says, he who is not with me. Is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Okay, so, uh, you know, Jesus comes back, you know, he's on the offense and, you know, he basically says there, uh, again, blasphemy against the spirit shall not be forgiven. Again, what, what does that word blasphemy mean? You know, it's, a, it's an older word, right? Uh, but, but what does it mean? Deny? Deny? So, okay, yeah, uh, but what specifically are we denying? Okay, the deity of Christ. Uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, you know, bi or, yeah, Bible definition, uh, blasphemy is defined as injurious and malicious speaking against God and his attributes, denying that, you know, God has the power uh, to do what he says he does, right? That, that's blasphemy, uh, to say something erroneous and uh, injurious, injurious, and malicious against uh, against God and His attributes. And again, there's a lot of confusion about what the sin against the Spirit is that cannot be forgiven. Again, we often refer to this as the unpardonable sin. Uh, but Jesus does say it shall not be forgiven, and so it would probably be good for us to understand, you know, what. Uh, he is talking about. Um, there are different places in Scripture where uh, the Bible talks about sinning against the Spirit. You remember in Acts chapter 5 uh, when Ananias and Sapphira uh, lied 
uh, and it, it was specifically we're told that they lied to the Holy Spirit. Or um, Acts chapter 7, verse 51 says that we can resist the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 29 says we can insult the Holy Spirit. But none of those are uh, specifically what Jesus is talking about here, about uh, blaspheming uh, the Holy Spirit. So, again, what did the Pharisees do? Uh, how did they blaspheme the, the Spirit here? You know, it was uh, basically, you know, going back to that definition of what blasphemy is, they were attributing uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to who? The devil, right. They, they, were, they said Jesus was going around performing uh, these miracles and the power uh, of the Holy Spirit. But they were saying, no, it wasn't by the Holy Spirit, but it was by Satan. It was by Beelzebub. It was by the devil. And so that was, uh, that, that was blasphemous that Jesus is telling them that. Again, a blasphemy is not a one-time, uh, a one-time act, right? Uh, we understand that uh, if someone, you know, murders someone, if someone, you know, c- commits adultery, those are all things that we can be forgiven of, right? Uh, we, th- those are uh, one-time acts that we can be forgiven of, uh, lying, cheating, you know, all of these different things. Uh, those are not the unpardonable sin. Uh, those are not the, the sin against the Holy Spirit. Uh, again, because those um, can be for, forgiven of. Um, it, Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well. Yeah. That's that's a great point. That's you know the conclusion that we'll we'll notice here uh, in a moment. So yeah. So um, you know the the unpardonable sin. You know it's not just some one sin that that occurs uh, because we can be forgiven. Uh, of course, the scriptures say of uh, of any sin, and it's not you know some certain words that we might utter uh, that we can never be forgiven of. But again, as Danny pointed out, it's a you know it's an attitude. It's a rejection of uh, of the spirit of the the deity of the spirit. And you know we think about in this you know in this context here in Matthew chapter twelve. Again, Jesus is going around doing uh, miraculous healings uh, by the power of the spirit and. The Pharisees are denying that Jesus is doing that by the power of the Spirit, but uh, but again, uh, saying that that was he's doing it by the power of Satan, by the power of Beelzebub. They are denying again the deity, uh, the the awesomeness, you know, the the deity of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the this Holy Spirit is God, and so that is what is you know this unpardonable sin that when we reject. Uh, the spirit in his role. Uh, again, uh, Jesus isn't going around uh, performing miracles today, like in Matthew chapter twelve. But we can still, we can still, you know, commit this sin if we are going to have a a hardened heart and not um, conform to the spirit's uh, instructions, 
Right? We, we think all the way back in the, the patriarchal age, right? when, from creation all the way to Mount Sinai. You know, how, did, how did God communicate to people? He spoke to them, right? God spoke to Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Job, we believe, was one of the patriarchs. You know, God spoke directly to those men. He gave them his will for them, the patriarchs, the patriarchal age. And then from Mount Sinai until the cross, you know, for the Jewish people, was what we refer to as the Mosaical age, the the. The law of Moses during this period of time, you know, God still, you know, if you will, spoke to uh, some men directly, uh, but it was more of through the prophets. It was more of through dreams and visions. Uh, but then we get to the gospel accounts and now Jesus is here on earth. Right. And so he's revealing a God's will uh, through him, but it's still not necessarily complete. Uh, I want to change, or turn to John chapter 6 and notice, or excuse me, John chapter 16, and notice what Jesus says here as he's preparing uh, the apostles for uh, eventually there's going to be a time where Jesus isn't going to be around and he's not going to be with them. And so in John chapter 16, uh, notice what uh, Jesus says here. John chapter 16, uh, verse uh, let's look at verses 7 and 8. He says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper with, uh, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Well, in verse 7, um, if your translation says helper, uh, what, else, what other words is it used there? Do you have a different translation? Does it maybe say comforter or do they all say helper? And you notice that, uh, at least in my version, helper is capitalized. So what's that trying to tell us there? Who is this helper? Right, the Holy Spirit. And then in verses 13 and 14, notice it says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, and he will take care of mine, and will disclose it to you. So again, Jesus is preparing his apostles for there's going to be a time when he is going to go away. But the, you know, the Holy Spirit, he's promising, will come upon them and will give them. Again, this isn't a, this isn't a promise he's giving to you and I, but this is a promise he's given to, to the apostles that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. And they are going to be able to uh, proclaim this, these truths that will guide them as they go out and teach uh, the gospel, to, to complete the gospel, to complete the New Testament. And so, of course, that happens in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. So, again, uh, we have a, a period of time when God spoke directly to men. We have a period of time where he used the prophets and, and uh, different ways. Actually, I love Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, which tells us, Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1, tells us exactly. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also 
made the world, right? And so, uh, so Jesus came. Jesus promised the, the Holy Spirit to uh, complete revelation for us. Uh, again, that's going to come through, you know, the writings of Paul and Peter and James and Jude and and John, the Apostle John. Uh, all these men from um, uh, from the Book of Acts all the way to Revelation. Uh, the, it's going to be complete. And so as we go back to the point Danny made here a couple of minutes ago, to reject that is blasphemous, right? To, to reject uh, the, the inspired word provided by the Holy Spirit. And we know it's provided by the Holy Spirit because uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 uh, tells us, 2 Peter chapter 1 verses uh, 20 and 21 tells us, but, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. All right? So uh, these inspired words are for us uh, to, to live and to learn, uh, again, to live by, uh, provided by the Holy Spirit. And so when we reject what the Holy Spirit teaches, we are, uh, as Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 12, we're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Uh, again, whoever, uh, therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. You know, he, he says, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, whoever says something against Jesus, he can be forgiven, Jesus said. Uh, but if you speak against, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age uh, to come. And so that's a, that's a powerful, powerful lesson. I wish we had more time to talk about it and study about it. But that's, that's the beginning of Jesus' day. Again, this is going to be a study we're going to see over the next uh, few weeks. Uh, a very busy day in the life of Jesus. And uh, so we're going to continue on in that study uh, uh, on Wednesday evening. And we'll uh, conclude, I believe, Matthew chapter 12. And so uh, I hope that this uh, has been beneficial for you this morning. And... Uh, Brother Danny is going to have our closing prayer for us.